around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. Pastor David Langford here today, and we'd like to take the opportunity, as always, to welcome you to this edition of The Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. Today is Monday, Monday, December the 28th. 2020, and believe it or not, this is the third, 23rd series of this topic, uh, the 23rd message, I should say, of this particular series, teaching on an evil revolution rising. And just the other day in prayer, I felt released in my heart to start teaching on the coming darkness. You know, I put this together. It's a very, very, very lengthy series. It will be probably longer than this series. But I put it together probably eight months or so ago uh, during my time of study and preparation. And in my spirit, I felt the release to go ahead and teach on the coming darkness, preparing for the coming darkness. Now, I, I hate to be negative. Joe Biden unknowingly prophesied a dark winter. But I, I, I know the Holy Spirit is trying to prepare the people of God. When you read the book of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the lamenting prophet, he tried his best. He tried his best as a messenger of God to warn the people of God of impending doom and judgment, but it fell mostly on deaf ears. People simply did not want to hear what the man of God had to say. And so it is today. People don't care to be realistic, embracing the truth, and regrettably, Yet truthfully, division has fallen upon many homes, families, marriages, in-laws, and it's becoming very difficult for people who are trying to serve God. And I sympathize and I empathize with you in that scenario. And what I want you to do right now is to be still. Be still and keep praying. Don't get ahead of God. Let God work his work. But you must remember Genesis 1 and 4. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. I want you to understand, and I said this in 2020, it is a year of division. You have to have the number two to divide. 
You can't divide one. You can divide two into two separate entities. But you take something and divide it. This is where the spirit of Antichrist is bringing us. And so I, I want to encourage you today, be still, be patient. Luke 21, 19, in your patience, possess ye your souls. You lose your patience, you may very well lose your soul. Now, I know that a lot of people are under great duress and distress in their families. I've got emails from all over the world where family members, some voted for Trump, some voted for Biden. And rightfully so, you have contempt and disdain for people who cast their lot with Biden. Sodomy, same-sex marriage, abortion. And these people can tell you all day long they're Christians. But I'm going to say all day long they're not Christians. They're just Christians in name only. Remember, Jude specifically addresses Korah. We know that Korah led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. But Korah's rebellion was able to seduce, coerce, and lead 3,000 souls to hell with him. They went to hell with Korah because they cast their lot. They voted for Korah. They voted for him to be the messenger now because Korah says to Moses, you're not the only one that God speaks to. So they, they took it on themselves. And, of course, they were terribly, terribly wrong, and they went to hell. And we know they went to hell because Jude clarifies that. Now, I know there will be those who will say, well, that, that kind of preaching, that kind of teaching is just not godly. What would Jesus do? Friend, everything that you read in the Bible is Jesus Christ. You, you can't separate Christ from his word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. You cannot separate Jesus from his word. John 1.1. 1, 1. When you read anything Old or New Testament, that is Jesus. That, that, that is not just a, a, a man, the Apostle Paul or, or the Apostle Luke or Jude or, or Peter or James or John or Moses or Ezekiel or Daniel. These men were inspired by the Holy Ghost to tell us what thus saith the Lord. And that began at Mount Sinai when God thunderously, powerfully, with smoke and lightning and thundering, spoke to the people of God. And the people said, we don't want to hear from God anymore. It's too powerful. It's too blunt. Let God tell you, Moses, then you tell us. And that's where that phrase throughout the scriptures, thus saith the Lord. The man of God is saying what God is telling him. Thus saith the Lord. It's not the man, it's God. All true ministers are like ambassadors. We don't have an agenda. 
We're told by the Word and by the Holy Spirit of God what to say, what to do, and how to proclaim. We're told that. True men of God are told. And so true messengers are only saying, thus saith the Lord. It's like one of my children coming to me and, uh, Daddy, uh, Wesley's beating up on me. You tell him to stop. So what you tell the other child, Linton, go tell him I said to stop. Linton would go to Wesley and said, thus saith daddy, stop it, or he's going to get you, going to whip you. Just, it's just a, We're just messengers. We're, we're not the message. We're just the messenger, the delivery boy. And this is the way it is. And I hate to say some of the things I have to say, but mostly what I say is scriptural. And so you find that hard to swallow, and then you get mad at me. You get angry with me. I'm a man, too. I, I can have a temper, too. I can get angry, too. People hammer me. They criticize me. Some use me. They never support the ministry, but they'll email me 10 times in one week to answer all their questions. But they don't care about the ministry as far as keeping us on the air. But again, I had a guy email me the other day and said, I guess you don't want an offering. I'm not going to ask for offerings. Either you have the love of God and you'll give or you won't. But I'm not going to ask you for an offering. See, that guy wants me to ask or tell him where and how, what. I'm not going to do that. Nobody told me to pay tithes when I got saved. Nobody. I paid my 10%. Then when I went to pastoring, God said, I want you to pay 20%. And I'm just shocked. And, and my first, first thought was, how am I going to do that? And the Holy Spirit said, prove me. Prove me. And God proved himself faithful to me. So, you're going to witness difficulty. You're going to witness division. It is part of the process. Don't get freaked out. Don't become unsettled over this division. It is Bible. Think not that I've come to send peace but a sword to put a man at variance against his own Household. These are the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 10. He told us how it would be. He makes it plain. Think not that I've come to send peace on earth, but I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father, against the daughter, against her mother, and against the daughter-in-law, and against her mother-in-law. Don't think this is bizarre that you're encountering. It's already been prophesied by God through the Apostle Matthew. So understand it and understand that it is a reality and you cannot get away from it. We left off last week beginning in verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 
This is going to be a reality. But I want to play a song today before we get into the message by the Adkins. And it's a question. What if God says no? What if God says no, N-O?
God says no. What a joy it is to know, K-N-O-W, that God loved us so much he gave his only begotten son that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. Amen. As I said last week, we're picking up today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, which says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Apostle Paul has been emphatic. The Antichrist will sit in the temple of God. Jesus Christ says a stature of the Antichrist will sit where it ought not. There's debate whether it will be in the holy place or the holy of holies. Either way, it is called the abomination of desolation. As a matter of fact, we have a very thorough teaching on that on DVD, and it's a three-set DVD. I'm not promoting it. I'm just telling you we have a teaching on that. And in that set, you get the coming fall events, how all of this transpires in the fall of the year, the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist slash stature, standing where it ought not. Thirdly, the seven kings of Revelation. We explain how the five kingdoms are, were fallen in John's day when he wrote that in the book of Revelation, chapter 17. Five are fallen. One is, that was the Roman Empire. One is yet to come. That's this third, or excuse me, this seventh final satanic empire. Once that head comes to fruition and is formed, and you see the ten kings out of the middle or the midst of the ten horns come up a little horn, that is the Antichrist. We teach all of that in that series. And then we also have a teaching series on Daniel's 70th week. We teach it in its totality. We believe for many years men have missed and misunderstood the 70th week because it says after 69 weeks are passed, then Messiah would be cut off, meaning he went into the 70th week. Then in the middle of the week, he was cut off. As I said to you last week, you have a 24-hour period in every day. 12 hours are a.m., 12 hours are p.m., yet it's the same day. You have three and a half years in a seven-year period. You have another three and one-half years in a seven-year period. You put the two together, you have a whole week of years. You put a.m. and p.m. together, you have a whole day. If it's just all a.m., that's half a day. If it's all p.m., it's still just half a day. But you put the two together, you have an entire day. The morning and the evening were the first day. So we see that the Antichrist will go into this temple, which makes it plain and clear to me 
there will be another temple built. Now, I know there are hooligans and jacklegs out there who are in opposition to that and very critical of that, and the fact is they're anti-Semitic. They hate Jews. They got issue with Jewish people, yet they're so stupid. They're so stupid, they say they teach and preach from the Bible that were given to us by no one but Jews alone. No Gentile gave us the Bible. Some people say, well, Luke was a Gentile. Prove it. I'm not going to try to prove to you whether he was a Gentile or Jew. You prove to me he was a Gentile. But I will give you Bible that proves emphatically every writer concerning the both Old and New Testaments were Jewish men. Well, how can you be so certain about that? I'm glad you asked the question. Romans uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there in circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, that because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, how plain is that? Jews were were given the oracles or the word of God. It was given to them. And yet people want to argue and lambast and castigate, impinge, criticize, slander Jewish people. But if you really had the mind of God and understood the depth and the breadth of God, you would understand they're not all God's promised seed. But see, none of us know the exact promised seed. We do know exactly that the promised seed was in Isaac. It was not in Ishmael, but Ishmael was also the seed of Abraham. So it's like the wheat and the tares. Romans 9, verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Sounds like an oxymoron. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. They were not the promised seed. They were a seed. They they are a generation. They are a nation. They are a faction of people, Muslims, Islamic. Verse Seven in Romans 9, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be blessed. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. Ishmael was the child of the flesh. These are not the children of God, Paul said, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed So it was in Isaac that that seed was blessed. Now it goes from a natural process of conception and seed into a spiritual seed. And that's what the church is. The church is the spiritual seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Paul makes that clear in Galatians 3 and verse 29. If ye are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. 
Why? Because the covenant of salvation and redemption was made in Abraham, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. But these yahoos are so so ignorant of the word of God. I mean, I'm not trying to be ugly today, but these men are stupid and they are illiterate. I'm going to say it plainly and bluntly and and, and you might say in, in a crass manner. But you see, if they knew the word of God, they would understand there are two factions. One is the promised seed, one is not the promised seed, but yet both of them came from the seed of Abraham. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Friend, nobody taught me what I'm teaching you. Nobody taught this to me. It's through study, 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 and the Scriptures being opened and made manifest, and so I'm just conveying the Word of God. I'm not adding to. I'm not taking away. I'm just telling you, thus saith the Lord. And people have a problem with that. Maybe my deliverance isn't the best in the world. Maybe my disposition isn't the most pleasing in the world, but I'm not a two-faced, Colgate-smiling Joy Osteen to make you want to like me. Truth sometimes is harsh, but truth is the only thing that sets men free. But you see, when you read secular books, you get a secular mindset. Your mind is not spiritual. You become a God-hater and a hater of God's people. And and, and you, you talk about making people angry. You talk about making people upset. You want to make these anti-Semitic people, I mean, and they call themselves Christians. I could call names right here on the air, but I'm not going to do it, but I could because you know them. But they hate John 4, 22. Salvation is of the Jews. Now, now that just, that makes you angry. But that's how we got salvation, through the Jewish people. Because it's always to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And, and these blockheads, they, they can't get it. The tribulation, Paul said in Romans 2 and 9, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. The Great Tribulation starts in Jerusalem, at the Temple Mount, in the Middle East. This is where it began, the Garden of Eden. This is where it will end. This is where Christ will reign. Why can't you get that? The church is not replacing Israel. Israel is still Israel. Israel failed God. Regrettably, the church is failing God. They don't have enough sense, spiritual sense, to recognize the Bible for what it is. The Bible is my schematic. The Bible reproves me. The Bible rebukes me. The Bible instructs me. The Bible corrects me. The Bible does this, but I study the Bible that I might know the truth. I was studying the other day. Let me throw a little nugget out here to you today just to show you that I study all the time. Revelation 6, verse 2. 
Here comes the rider on the white horse. You all read that. You've all seen that. You've all heard every prophecy teacher in the world pontificate on that Antichrist on the white horse, haven't you? Sure you have. I have. You have. We've all heard it. I've heard every prophecy teacher tell me that bow is a, is a, is a, is a symbol of war, but he has no arrows. That's what you've been taught. So they got the part about being deceptive. He comes in as a man of peace, but a man of war. So he has two things. He has a bow and a crown. That's what it says. That's exactly what it says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. I'll just show it to you. And I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So we've all heard the bow was like a bow that you shoot arrows with, right? It's what we've all been told all these years, haven't we? Well, I bothered to exegete the word bow. You know what it is in the Greek? It's a piece of fabric. It's not a bow for war. It's a piece of cloth. Then it made all the sense to me then. Look at the Nobel Peace Prize. It's a pretty piece of cloth and a ribbon and a uh, medallion on it. And so I can now visualize this man coming on the world scene. He supposedly secures, confirms a covenant between the Islamic world and the Israeli world, and he gets the Nobel Peace Prize, and now he has this piece of fabric around him. I also visualized it as uh, years ago when you'd watch the uh, uh, Miss America pageant. They all had a, a banner across their front, uh, New Mexico, North Carolina, North Dakota, South Dakota, Maine piece of fabric with a name on it. Well, that's what that means in the Greek concerning the bow. But we've all been told, no, it's a bow that carries as a man of war, but he has no arrows. But yet he goes forth conquering. He goes forth to conquer and conquering, the Bible says. So all these years we've been told emphatically it's a bow symbolizing war. He does eventually create havoc and terrible war, especially in the end at the Battle of Armageddon. But that bow is not a bow that shoots arrows. It is a piece of fabric, world of difference. So because we fail to study, we fail to thoroughly search the scriptures, we come up with false doctrine. We come up with erroneous fabricated teachings, pardon the pun, but we fabricate stuff. But that's what the bow is in the Greek there. It is a piece of fabric, not a bow that shoots arrows. Now, Paul the apostle says the Antichrist, the son of perdition, is going to go into a temple and declare himself to be God. I am pretty emphatic 
on that I believe it will be in the spring of the year, and what greater time to make this great display at Passover. You had three years to Passover. You're back in the spring of the year. You had the last six months to the 42 months, 36 months, three years, at six months, 42, time, times, half a times, 1,260 days. That puts you back in the fall of the year. That would mean Christ would fulfill the Feast of Trumpets in September and the Feast of Tabernacles in October. There it is. There it is. Now, he will confirm a covenant, the Bible says, for one week. But we're not going to know who, if that is the right covenant until the middle of the week and we see the manifestation of the abomination of desolation in the house of God, the temple of God. Now, you may be too young. You may not, may not have been into Bible prophecy in 1993, but, but I was. But September the 11th, 1993, on the White House lawn, Yikshat Rabin, Yasser Arafat, signed a seven-year peace agreement called Peace and Security, Peace and Safety. And Slick Willie, Bill Clinton, had his arm around both men. What was he doing? He was confirming their covenant. That's in my first book, The Second Coming, A Second Look. That picture is what I'm looking for. There were those who were emphatic that was the peace treaty, fall of the year. Seven years later, Christ would come in the fall of the year 2000, the end of the sixth day. It didn't happen because the Jewish calendar is different than the Gregorian calendar. And so having, having, having watched that, knowing that, there were those who said, this is it. This is the peace treaty. This is the one. The Great Tribulation will begin in the spring of 1997. And then in the fall of 2000, bam, Jesus returns. All right, that's been over, that's been over uh, 27 years ago. 27 years ago. As I said, and I've been preaching and teaching in this series, every prophecy teacher tries to make Bible prophecy fit their generation and their timeline. You cannot do that. You don't twist the word. You don't uh, uh, reform the word. You, you don't beat it out, pulverize it, twist it, reform it, fashion it to make it fit your scenario. Yet that's what men are constantly doing all the time. These jack legs are talking about the vaccine as the mark of the beast. If you're certain the vaccine is the mark of the beast, what is the name and the number? I'm not going to argue the technology that they could put nano uh, technology in vaccines. I'm not going to argue that. But I even uh, we, we were talking uh, back in Thanksgiving, my son-in-law and I, uh, he doesn't have the uh, smallpox vaccine on his left arm. Now think about this. The Bible says in the right hand or in the forearm. 
But if you're my age and you have the smallpox vaccine, you were vaccinated, you were scratched with that needle, what arm was it on? It was on the left arm, wasn't it? Why? They already understood people would freak out if you'd put a mark on their right arm. Because they did that in the 30s concerning Social Security when they gave everybody a number. All I'm trying to be is a very honest, sincere, pragmatic Bible teacher. I'm not trying to distort the scriptures. I'm not trying to rest, W-R-E-S-T. I'm not trying to rest the scriptures. I'm not trying to redefine the scriptures. I'm trying to preach the purest Bible I possibly can to you, and I'm try- And that's why I got away from a pre-trib teaching, because it's false. It's a fallacy. It is a mendacity. It is heresy, and it's a damnable heresy. And it's going to mess up people in the time of the end because they're going to say, well, I thought I was going to be raptured out of here. Well, like me, you were taught wrong. But but I, I, I try my best to be as honest. You see, Paul told us, Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, there were going to be men that were going to come in and they were going to handle the word of God with dishonesty and with deceitfulness. They're dishonest. When someone is dishonest, that means they have no honesty. They're not going to do what's right. See, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Folks, I do not take this book and handle it deceitfully. I loathe those who twist scriptures like I've been teaching you and say the falling away would have been better translated the rapture of the church. They're lying, they're dishonest, and they are deceitfully handling the word of God because they don't want to admit they are wrong, but they are absolutely unequivocally wrong scripturally. They're wrong. And then they add all of this fabrication, pardon the pun again, they add all of this fabrication well, we're in church, we're, or the church is in heaven for seven years, and we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yet the Bible says, Jesus said, in heaven they neither marry nor are given in marriage. You see, that would be a contradiction of God's word, and that's where people say, you see there? The word of God contradicts itself. It says one thing here and something different here. No, preachers misrepresent it, preachers twist it, and they twist it to your own deception. They willfully, blatantly, flagrantly twist the word of God to deceive you so that they don't have to admit they're wrong. And you'll hear from here on out. You'll hear all these prophecy teachers tell you the bow is symbolic of a man of war, yet he doesn't have arrows. But see, the truth is that bow's never been about a bow that shoots arrows. The Bible says in the Greek it was a piece of fabric. But see, they don't study. They're just handing and rehashing, passing down to the next generation the garbage they were taught. God forbid I ever teach garbage. 
God forbid I ever come into the studio and I sit here and I pontificate, I elaborate, and I skew biblical truths. Why? Because I have an agenda. I want you to give me money. I want this. I want that. They said they hacked into Kenneth Copeland's account the other day's records of his ministry, and he had $786 million. He claimed he was a billionaire years ago. What does a preacher need with a billion dollars? But they, 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 Isaiah 56 says they're greedy dogs, and they never have enough. And they slumber, and they sleep. They don't warn the people. They don't bark like a watchdog. Because the Bible says his watchmen are asleep and they're dumb dogs. I'll read it to you. Isaiah 56, verse 10. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. You say, you're so hard on preachers. Wait a minute. I'm reading from the Word of God. The Word of God tells us what these watchmen are. They're blind. They're all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, sleeping. The the Hebrew says they just daydream all the time. Lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs. Greedy dogs, meaning they are strong of self-appetite. Take three German shepherds and throw two bones out there and watch what happens. That greediness of that dog, they'll start fighting each other over a bone. Greedy dogs, they can never have enough. They are shepherds that cannot understand. The Bible tells us these men are unable to understand. Why? They don't pray. They don't fast. They have an agenda. They have a program. This is not David Lankford. This is the Word of God. They cannot understand They all look to their own way. And in other words, they're self-serving. They are self-centered. And what are they doing it for? Everyone for his gain from his quarter or from his disposition. They're trying to seek gain. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine. And we will fill ourselves with strong drink, liquor. Tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. Look at look at all the world crisis, the crisis in America, the crisis in our nation, and they're still telling you everything's great, everything's good. Tomorrow's going to be better than today. See, I, I'm not making this stuff up. This is pure Bible. I said this is pure, unadulterated Bible. Isaiah 56. There it is, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. I'm not handling with my hands God's word deceitfully to trick you. They tell you you're not going to be here when all of this takes place. Then why in God's name did Paul write this to the church? It's like you're being deceased. You and I have a relationship. And, and your name is, is, is Timmy Smith, and we have a relationship. And you die, you pass away, but I keep writing you letters. You're dead, you're gone, you no longer have an address. I'm wasting my time p- 
penning, writing letters to the decedent. Why would Paul write this to the church if the church is going to be gone? It's because the church is going to be here. You need to know exactly what was happening. I was thinking about abortion the other day while I was praying. And I thought about the profuse brutality of Herod when the wise man did not come back and tell him where Jesus was, so he lied and said, so I can go and worship this this king. I want to go worship him too. See, they, 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 they misrepresented, or he misrepresented the truth. So when Herod realized, says he's been, he's been mocked. He says, they, they say, you know, we want to go, we want to go and, and worship this king. But they go back home another way. And then when they do go back home, Another way, Herod then sends soldiers down to Bethlehem and murders all the newborn males two years of age and younger. Why is he doing that? Well, first of all, he says he was mocked. Says he was mocked. So he he goes down there and he's, he's trying to kill Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer. So he's doing everything that he can in his own power, but he does not succeed. God does not suffer him to succeed. My point is people will lie to you, misrepresent the truth to you, and do everything they can to destroy you. So there we have those today who misrepresent, they mishandle the word of God with deceitfulness, with deceitfulness. What a tragedy. What a grave, what a great tragedy. But nevertheless, it is of a truth. What I'm telling you is the absolute truth. So when Herod dies... The angel appears to Joseph again and says, now the one that sought the child's life is dead. Now you can go and return into Galilee. There are those who are telling you today, you're not going to see a third temple, and there'll be those who will be critical of you if you believe there will be a third temple, but I believe the third temple because of Bible. Revelation chapter 11 Verses 1 and 2. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar. Remember, the altar is always the outer court. And them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, that's the outer court, leave out. In other words, don't measure it. And measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. John is given a reed like unto a rod. The reed is like a scepter. It is not given to John to measure the temple 
regarding concerning construction or building something. It is already built. He's given a reed or a rod for the measurement of destruction. John was told to not only measure the temple, but also the altar. Measure the temple and the altar. So the measurement goes, again, I will not take an emphatic disposition, holy of holies, holy place, but the, the stature of the Antichrist is going to be standing where it ought not or sitting. He sits, let me get it straight, he sits, the statue stands. John is given this reed to measure. As I said, he's not measuring for construction, he's measuring for destruction, measuring the gravity of it. And Daniel tells us that in Daniel 9 about the desolation, destruction of the tabernacle of the temple. Now, let me point out something very significant to you and I as Gentiles or the church, the body of Christ. The church of God, not Cleveland, Tennessee, but the true church of the living God, the true body of Christ knows nothing about an altar like the one that will be constructed for the third temple. Why? You and I know nothing about an altar where we go and make sacrifices. The altar that you and I know about is a spiritual altar. Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I know nothing about a brazen altar. You know nothing about a brazen altar because we don't offer up sacrifices, do we? But the Israel and Jewish people are going to go back and they're going to offer daily sacrifices. And when the Antichrist stops it and says, I'm God, that is what triggers the great tribulation. That's the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Whosoever readeth, let him understand, Matthew 24, verse 15. But we have a spiritual altar, and our spiritual altar can be anywhere, any place, any time, because we're not under the law. We're not legalistic. We're not under these ordinances. I can get down on my knees right here in this studio where my chair is that I'm sitting in right now, and I can turn around and I can kneel and make an altar, a spiritual altar, and worship God and pray and offer up thanksgiving to God for his blessings on my life. You see, so when John is talking about the temple and the altar, he is not talking about you and I, the church slash and the church's altar. Now, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, all now Fox is a lying network. Don't watch Fox anymore. Find, find someone else. Go to Newsmax or somewhere, but quit 
uh, listening to them. Go to Glenn Beck or whatever. But Fox is, is turned out to be what they are. They're a fox. They're liars. They're deceivers. They're manipulators. They twist the truth. They've all gone to hell in a handbasket. I, I, I don't watch Fox anymore. Uh, I used to like Hannity and Ingram and, 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 and Carlson Tucker, but they're on a lying, deceiving, manipulating network, and I won't watch any of it because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. See, I, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. So you see, they, they built a base because they were the alternative. But now the alternative has turned out to be just like the rest of the lying devil and hypocrites. See, it's all corrupt. It's going to get more corrupt. And the church is going to get more corrupt. I'm not talking about his true body. I'm talking about the nominal church. I mean, it is, it is, it is unfathomable that a Christian could stand up and say, Brother Langford, I'm a blood-bought, born-again child of God, washed in the blood of Emmanuel, but I'm voting for sodomy. I'm voting for same-sex marriage. I'm voting for abortion. I'm voting for lying and cheating and stealing. You are? And you expect me to believe you're a Christian? You're going to cast your lot with Korah? Korah's, Korah didn't make it to heaven. He went to hell alive, and those 3,000 people that cast their lot and agreed with Korah, they went to hell too. You say, well, you're, you're just wrong, and you're just being judgmental. No, I'm measuring what I see through the lens of God's Word. The, the, the end-time church is feminine. She's the mother of harlots. That's why you hear me keep hammering. The church is masculine because it is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head. If Jesus is a man and, he, and he's the head and, and we are the body, then what would the body be? Oh, excuse me. Some of you are going to say transgender. See, you're already tricked. You're already bewitched. You're already deceived. Even Joe Biden says he wants to pass and make it a mandate. That child at six years old can decide, though he's genetically, anatomically a boy, but I'm a girl. My grandpa never said queer. Never heard him use the word queer, but he used the word quar. He'd say about somebody, he's a little bit quar. In other words, he's not quite right, he's different. Because my grandpa didn't know what a queer was. But see, today, they'll tell you on signs, I'm queer. God made me this way. God is queer. What are we doing? Churches are now saying, it's okay to be like that. Churches have pastors who say that. This is, this is the corrupt state that the church has come to, and I'm, I'm going to say this again, and it angers people, the end is not yet. You mean it's going to get worse? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to get a whole lot worse because evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. That's 2 Timothy 3, verse 13. It's going to get worse. You say, I, I, I just can't believe it's going to get worse. Just hang on. And, and I've said for a decade, 
when you watch and witness the militancy of the homosexual community, you will know we're in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah. As it were in the days of Lot, so shall it be also in the coming of the Son of Man. You're going to see this. In closing, the church knows nothing about a sacrificial offering. We can make an altar anywhere, kitchen, bedroom, bathroom, pantry, barn, shop, wherever, wherever. You can get out, you can walk outside and get on your knees and kneel down and make a spiritual altar right there and pray. So this is not about the church, this temple and this altar that's to be measured when he gave it to John. My point is trying to be this. There's going to be a temple and they're going to put it together. And that's when you're going to know we're near the time of the ultimate end. This temple is going to be used by God just like the holy vessels in Daniel chapter 5, when Belshazzar got drunk and said, go get the holy vessels, they brought them in there. That is 2 Chronicles chapter 36. They captivated, they stole them, they took them because God knew in 70 years he would use those sacred vessels to bring judgment on Babylon and set the Jewish people free and the Medo-Persian Empire came in and took over. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. In the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.